Welcome to Focus on the Light, a Come Follow Me podcast, which I'm very grateful for the chance to actually do now. It has been a long time since I've been able to do this with school, and I'm just grateful for the chance to talk about the scriptures again, as it's something that I love to do. This week in Come Follow Me is the book of Esther, the entire book, 10 chapters worth, um, about Esther and her story and what it means. And this is a story that is quite remarkable, and I, I really love. I already knew part of this story with Esther. I knew some of the vaguer details, but I didn't really know the story super well. I, I just knew that Esther went before the king and that it was a big deal and that she was kind of risking her life in doing so. I didn't know why and didn't know the circumstances of any of that. And it's kind of a remarkable story that happens. And so I thought that I would just briefly recap the story of Esther and what happens, the history, I guess you could say, because it is real. And then talk about some principles that we learn from this story, which are quite remarkable. So the story starts with the king of Persia, Ahasuerus. I, th- I think it's how you say it. I'm just going to call him the king of Persia or the king. Um, so he is the king. He have, has a queen. Obviously, kings have queens. Um, and this queen's name, Vashti. Um, and so in chapter one, Vashti is called by the king. The king summons her to come to him, and he's with all his princes and all his counselors and, and that type of thing. And she ignores him. She doesn't come to him and kind of disobeys him, and it upsets the king. And this is important to understand because it kind of shows you what type of king he is. Um, I'm trying to find this verse here. So in chapter 1, verse 14, or excuse me, verse 13, the king is speaking to his wise men. It says, For so was the king's manner towards all that knew the law and judgment, meaning that his respect was towards people who knew law and knew judgment, that he was, he was kind of a, a harsh king, that he liked judgment and he liked the laws and upholding them. And so for that reason, he didn't want... He didn't want Vashti's example to go to other people that they could ignore the king and that the women could disobey their husbands and that type of thing, you know, very different time period. Um, and so because of that, Vashti no longer is queen. And he says, We're, we'll, we'll replace her. We'll bring all the virgins in and we'll get rid of Vashti and I will have a new queen. And so because of that, he seeks out a new queen. And so the king sends out all his advisors and he says, you know, point people to bring all the virgins from my kingdom, which is a very large kingdom. You know, bring all these fair virgins and I will choose a new queen. And so Mordecai, he is a Jew that is just in the king's palace at the time. He's not necessarily a king's servant or anything. He's just in the palace. And so he brings um, Esther. And so Esther is his uncle's daughter, which would that be his cousin? I don't know. We're gonna, uh, his uncle's daughter. Um, and so, yeah, that would be his cousin. Yeah, that's his cousin. <laughs> um Esther, who is an orphan, she, both of her parents have died, so she's an orphan. And so he brings Esther in to be presented b- before the king. And so, so the king chooses from all these virgins, and he ends up picking Esther. And so Esther is chosen to be his queen. He fi- he, she finds favor before him, and she becomes queen. He set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Right, And this is in chapter 2. So then after that, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, he is still sitting in the, in the king's court in the in his courtyard and jumping to verse 21 in those days while mordecai sat in the king's gate two of the king's chamberlains by than and perash and those who kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hand on the king ahasarius so these these guards these chamberlains in the king uh in the king's court are wanting to kill the king and and mordecai overhears this and the thing was known known to mordecai who told it unto esther the queen and esther certified the king thereof in mordecai's name so because of this, Mordecai tells Esther, his cousin, and she's a queen, and she saves the king's life from these people. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out thereof 
They were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king, right? So this, these, these people were hanged because they were trying to kill the king, and this, this history and Mordecai and Esther's involvement in it was written in the book of Chronicles. So then, a little while after this, the king, in chapter 3, this man named Haman is kind of raised up or promoted higher than all the princes of the king. And he's, he's kind of made like second in command to the king, this Haman guy. And he's kind of a prideful, arrogant guy. And so he's in the court and all the people bow to him, but Mordecai refuses to, to bow to him. And because of this, Haman gets really mad at Mordecai. And Mordecai and Esther both are Jews. And so Haman, in his anger towards Mordecai, decides, I want to kill all the Jews. I want to just get rid of them in, in the entire kingdom. So he goes to the king in verse 8 and, and kind of speaks vaguely to convince the king to let him kill all the Jews. This is what he says to the king. There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people and on all provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws, neither for it is not for the king's profit to suffer it. If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. In essence, he kind of plays to the king's favors. Hey, these people aren't obeying your laws. They don't listen to you. Let's not suffer them and let's get rid of them. So the king lets him in his name send out a decree into all his provinces, his entire kingdom, that on the 13th day of the 12th month, all the Jews can be killed. And so the Jews and Mordecai specifically, they begin to mourn and they send a letter to Esther, or not a letter, Mordecai comes to the, the palace, they, I don't know, the the king, the, I guess you could say the palace, the palace gates, and uh, asks a servant to go send a message to Esther, what is happening and that the people are going to die. And so they're kind of talking back and forth between this messenger and Mordecai says to Esther, asking her, he says to the person to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make requests before him for her people. Mordecai is requesting Esther to go into the king and request that these Jews be saved because she is a Jew and her people are all going to be killed just because of Haman's problems. But this is kind of a scary thing to ask Esther to ask of Esther in verse 11 of chapter 4. Esther explains this to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king in the inner court who is not called, there is one law of, of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. Esther's been the queen for 30 days. And there's this law, if you go to the king in his court, and if he does not raise his golden scepter, you're killed. If you're not summoned there and you go in on your own will, you will be killed. And Esther hasn't been called into the court. So she literally has to risk her life for the people. And I love what Mordecai says to her in verse 14. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Meaning, well, why else would you be here at this time type of thing? You're in the right place at the right time. Right? How, how powerful. that Again, Mordecai was in the right place at the right time to save the king's life initially. And now Esther's in the right place at the right time to save the Jews. And so Esther requests, gather the Jews together um, and fast for me for three days, and she will also fast. And this is in verse 16. And so so you will go into the king, and if I perish, I perish. I just think that's a courageous and remarkable attitude, that I will do this. I will do the right thing, and if I perish, I perish. So Esther goes to the king. He raises her, his, his golden serpent, or golden scepter, not serpent. So she's okay. She isn't killed. Um, And she requests of the king to make a feast 
for him and Haman and, and to, to, to feast with the two of them. And he fulfills his request and says it will be done. So then in the meantime, while we're waiting for the feast to happen, Haman plans, again, because of his hate towards Mordecai, that killing all the Jews isn't sufficient, that, that he has to see Mordecai killed specifically. And so he builds a gallows to have Mordecai hanged or hung, however the right way to say that is, just because he does not like him. So he builds the gallows. But then that night, the king is unable to sleep. This is in chapter six. And so he has the chronicles come and be read to him, right? So the history of the people. And so he reads, because he can't sleep at night, he reads the history of what Mordecai did and asks, what honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? So he learns about what Mordecai did to save his life. He says, what has been done to him? And, and nothing's been done. So he wants to honor him. So now Haman comes in to talk to the king and the king asks him, what shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? And now Haman, being the guy he is, thinks, oh, he's talking about me. Who else would he want to honor besides me? So he has this full thing where he's like, well, put on the king's apparel and put him on a, a, a horse that the king rides and put the crown on his head and bring him through the city with the king's apparel and the king's horse. Um, and one of the most noble princes, uh, like, you know, ushering the horse or walking the horse and honor him in the city in front of all the people, right? Thinking that that's what he's, he's going to get. And so the king responds to Haman, as thou hast said, do even so to Mordecai, the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate, let nothing fail off of all thou hast spoken. So this thing that, that Haman thought he was getting for himself, he now himself has to go do to Mordecai. So he dresses Mordecai up in the king's royal clothes and puts the crown on him and puts him on the king's horse and walks him through the city and honors him at the king's request in front of everybody, which is kind of ironic. So then after that, the feast happens. The feast that Esther prepares for the king and Haman and Esther reveals Haman's plan to kill all the Jews and that she is a Jew and she requests for her people to be saved. And this really upsets the king naturally as his, his, there's just something about it, even though the relationship is kind of weird, there's something about the king's interaction with Esther's that is really loving and tender. And you can tell he just cares about Esther. And so he, he gets upset. He stops this. Haman is killed, is hung at the gallows that he builds for Mordecai. So not only does he have to honor Mordecai, but then he is hung at the gallows that he built for Mordecai. And then the king, through Mordecai and Esther, reverse the law, so to speak, the, the letters that were sent out to all the kingdom that the Jews would be killed on the 13th day and turns it the exact opposite day. So this, the exact opposite way, this is in chapter eight, verse 11, wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city to gather themselves, gather themselves together and to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people and providence that would assault them, both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of the prey. And this is on the exact same day, the 13th day of the 12th month. So the day that they are originally going to be set up to be killed, the king lets them defend themselves. And anyone who does attack them, they can kill and defend themselves against and take any province that comes from it. And so the Jews prosper over their enemies. The Jews haven't been taken captive into these lands. And, and being hated by so many people, they finally prosper over their enemies because of Mordecai and Esther being in the right place at the right time and doing what they needed to do. And then the chapter ends with uh, Mordecai being honored next to the king. His honor is just next to the king in the Chronicles, which I thought was quite remarkable. So an amazing story, both of Mordecai and Esther, but Esther especially having great courage and great faith to do the right thing selflessly for other people. So there are some quick principles that I noticed in these 
in this these chapters for Come Follow Me that I really liked is, is having the courage to do the right thing. I love the attitude that Esther has of if I perish, I perish. That we can have the courage to do the same thing. Um, be, because in both situations, this is a positive story because two people, Mordecai and Esther, were willing to speak up and say the right thing. In Mordecai's case, he was willing to defend the king or to defend righteousness, if you will, using the king, defend Jesus Christ, to defend Christ's church against people who were speaking negatively and down against it. He was willing to speak up. Esther, in the other case, was willing to speak up in statement of what was right, to point out the wrongdoing of others, to call attention to them, and to encourage people to do the right thing. Which, if you take those same situations, I think there's many circumstances that we, especially as youth and young adults, find ourselves where we have the potential to perish socially, if you will. That it, we are in a situation where the people are wrongdoing and we have the chance to be courageous and speak up and call out that wrongdoing, of course, lovingly, and to encourage the doing of right. But there is a great fear and there can be social perishing, if you will. And I love the way that Come Follow Me put it. Let me get to it here. I just love this. The next time you consider the consequences of doing what is right, you might apply Esther's courage, courageous words to your own circumstances. For instance, you might say to yourself, when I choose the right, if I lose friends, I lose friends. I just love that attitude that right doing is better than the maybe consequences that might come in doing that and to have the courage to do that. And I just quickly love these questions that it asked in Come Follow Me, what would a person need to know about God in order to make the choices Esther and Mordecai made to do what's right regardless of the consequences? An interesting question. Now, some other principles here super quickly is God helping people be in the right place at the right time. That you could say, you know, these are just circumstances that, that Esther, an orphan, became the queen of a giant providence, that Mordecai was in the right place and willing to defend the king, that the king couldn't sleep and happened to read the records, those types of things, that Esther was a Jew, and so on and so forth. But really, it's people being in the situations that God orchestrates them in to do what he needs them to do. Um, Again, from Come Fall Me, Sister Anne C. Pingree taught, to become an instrument in the hands of God is a privilege and a sacred responsibility. Wherever we live, whatever our circumstances, No matter our marital status or age, the Lord needs each one of us to fulfill our unique part in building his kingdom in this final dispensation. I just love that, that we have a work we can do, like that scripture that I mentioned, that that verse that I mentioned when Esther is is worried about it and Mordecai says, well, why else would you be here? This is your chance. The last principle that I just briefly want to point out is one that really, really touched me as after I read, I was like, this is a beautiful story, but something that I've been trying to do that... I've been going through the training to be a seminary teacher and the instructor mentioned something about studying the scriptures, not just for intellectual insights and connections, but for inspiration and finding things that apply to us and to our circumstances, which I've been trying to do. So as I, as I tried to do that with this, I was thinking about the story of Esther and what could apply to me and, and pondering over it, the idea of the king and the way that the scriptures use the king, particularly the way that Esther speaks to him and the words she uses, and the phrasing, I thought was remarkable. And to take that idea to be a capital, the king, and the idea of humbly approaching the king 
to request what we stand in need of, whether for ourselves or for others that we love. Specifically looking at the way that Esther approaches the king and speaks to him. Let me find the verse here. She, and Esther answered, this is in, mainly in chapter 5, If it seemeth good unto the king, let the king do this. Another one, my petition and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and to perform my request, let the king. There's that humility in speaking. Esther again saying, and and if it be pleasing in his eyes, in the king's eyes. right? That humility to approach the king. That same idea of, of approaching heavenly father. And maybe that in some circumstances, the difficulty or or worry we have in that relationship of approaching the king. And I thought that the king's example is very powerful here, that both times Esther comes to him, he says, what wilt thou, Queen Esther, especially thinking about this example of Heavenly Father speaking to us, Queen Esther is extra special. Um, what is thy request? It shall, it shall be even given thee to half of the kingdom. Later he says, What is thy petition? And it shall be granted thee. And what is thy request? Even to half of the kingdom it shall be performed. This was no small kingdom that this king had. Trying to find the verse here in chapter 1 where it describes the kingdom. Let's see. He's over, if I'm reading this right, 127 provinces. 107 and 20 provinces is what the scripture says. So I think that's 127. So this is a large, large kingdom. But he's willing to give Esther half of it. And I think that how much more giving will be our response from our Father who loves us? I don't know. There's something about the idea of him speaking to us and say, what is thy request, Queen Esther? Or Queen, fill in the blank, or King. There's something special about that, about Heavenly Father understanding our destiny, our eternal destiny of what we can become and respecting that as we approach him in prayer and that he knows us. And that was what connected with me the most, is that example of the courage to directly but humbly go to the king and request what we stand in need of, and to see how kind and loving he is in return, understanding who we are, and respecting us as potential kings and queens. Because I definitely know that Heavenly Father loves us, and he's waiting for us to request what we stand in need of. He's, he's willing to give more than half of his kingdom for our behalf. He was, he was willing to give his only begotten son because he loved us so much. So what more can he give when we ask for what we stand in need of humbly? Because I know Heavenly Father hears and answers our prayers. That's something that I've been studying a lot, seeking. And the scriptures use the phrase, seek and ye shall find. Specifically in the scriptures, in the standard works, the phrase seek with the promise of finding is mentioned 17 times in the scriptures. Those specific words, that idea is taught many times throughout the scriptures in different words, but specifically the words seek and find together are used 17 times throughout the scriptures, which I think is remarkable and teaches us a lot about what Heavenly Father wants us to do, is to find and to seek, because I know he answers that. Just like we see the example here in Esther's case, right? It might have been a temporal king on earth, but it was the king of heaven answering the fast, as we saw earlier, of Esther and the people to save their lives, which I know he does. I know he hears those things. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you again for listening.
If you would like to share Focus on the Light, there is a link below. Podcasts can be difficult to share as people listen to them on many different platforms. So is there a link below you can share with people and they can find it on whatever ever platform they prefer. I would also love if you could get in contact with me. You could send me an email. Let me know what are your impressions and thoughts about the story of Esther. I'd love to hear. Thank you again for listening to Focus on the Light and I'll talk to you next time.